young people didn't have always the opportunity to get to know each other and to be complementary to each other and also to be more tolerant to each other. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Today's episode is brought to you by the University of Denver's Joseph Corbell School of International Studies. Corbell graduates make the world a better place, working toward global solutions in climate change, international security, economics, development, and diplomacy. 95% of Corbell students get jobs after graduation, and Corbell alumni are power players around the world. Learn more about the seven different degree programs offered at the University of Denver Joseph Corbell School of International Studies by visiting corbell.du.edu. The border region of Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger is home to violent extremist groups eager to recruit young men to their ranks. To counter the lure of groups like the Islamic State, officials have experimented with programs and projects to more deeply root young men to their communities and to reduce inter-ethnic conflict. This kind of peace-building work to strengthen what is known as social cohesion often flies under the radar, at least compared to high-profile military activities targeting terrorist groups. But there is growing evidence that such programs are effective. My guest today, Dr. Siaka Malogo, ran an experiment testing the impact of social cohesion programs in villages in rural Niger. He is the director for Burkina Faso and Niger for the aid group Mercy Corps. From 2019 through 2021, Mercy Corps and local partners identified 40 villages at risk of recruitment by violent extremist groups and undertook social cohesion programs in half of those. The other half was a control group. And in our conversation, we discuss how this experiment worked and what it can teach us about the value and the impact of hyper-local programs to combat violent extremism. Now, here is my conversation with Dr. Siaka Malogo, Director for Burkina Faso and Niger for Mercy Corps. Can I just have you describe the Tila Berry region of Niger, for those unaware. Where is it and what's the impact of violent extremism in this region? Tila Berry is one of the eight regions of Niger, of the northern Niger. And we've also what we call the three borders, Burkina Faso and Mali. So if you look at it, it is around these three borders that we have the highest number of 
terrorist attacks and also leading to a great number of internally displaced people. So regarding uh, this situation, we have developed and submitted to USID to get this program to implement activities to prevent the impact of violent extremism. Before we get into a discussion of your programs around peace building and preventing violent extremism in the region, what are the groups that are active in this area and what do their attacks look like? The group active in this deliberate region is in fact the Islamic group in the Great Sahel. They are uh, attacking uh, some population. They are asking them to provide some deem, some ransom sometimes. And uh, also their operation uh, model is in fact to focus on the government structures, the government representations, so that the way they are operating in this Tilabili region, as well as the Central Sahel area in general. So you have this essentially an offshoot of the Islamic State that is active in this region, the Tilaberi region of Niger, which, as you said, is on the border of Niger, Burkina Faso, and Mali. And it is in this region that you began a project called Preventing Violent Extremism Actions Through Increased Social Cohesion Efforts, which brilliantly invokes the acronym PEACE. How does this PEACE program work? In front of all these problems caused by the violence extremism, and as an action for Mexico to support the population victim of this action of terrorist group, and also to allow young people to be uh, more involved in development of their communities. We have developed this program and also negotiated funding with the USID. So the, this peace program would mean to really to facilitate what we have to do with young people in terms of trying you know, to envelop them more in uh, some activities that they can initiate, that can help them to enhance their social cohesion. So doing uh, some activity together that they themselves they have identified. Also, we just provided them the resources and also the, the capacities to be able to implement uh, this program by themselves. They have been at the bottom line of identification of all these macro projects we have identified, which were linked, in fact, to social cohesion to be together, gathering them around uh, the same objective of belonging to their communities. So what are some of the micro-projects, as you describe them, to encourage social cohesion in specific communities? I would like to take this example of which community where they just have one traditional well, so where animals and human beings were getting uh, water, and that created most of the time a lot of conflict uh, between uh, the groups. And uh, this project has been selected by themselves, and also uh, they asked for some material to be able to dig this well to improve it. And that is a kind of project that we have been uh, doing with them. That's just one example. Yeah, so building a well seems like a very straightforward community infrastructure project. Are there others you could explain as well, just to give listeners a sense of you know, what projects we're talking about when 
we are discussing initiatives aimed at boosting social cohesion in potentially at-risk communities. Yeah, you know, also in these communities, uh, they used to have uh, some uh, traditional events, for example, that were gathering young people, like, you know, common discussion around the story and also uh, horse courses, something like that. That is, in the traditional uh, way of living, they have this, this kind of event in the past that you to gather them. Just like community or life cycle events. Yes. Things like that. Yes. So they were no longer doing that, you know. And the project tried, in fact, to come back with that and to get young people and also their elders around the, these activities so that they can also take advantage of the presence of their elders to transfer some values of the communities that were, in fact, maintaining the social cohesion in the past. The fact that they were no longer doing that, young people didn't have all this opportunity to get to know each other and to be complementary to each other and also to be more tolerant to each other. So these are something also that got some great impact on the communities. So you're supporting infrastructure building like wells, community building efforts like the events you just described, all under the rubric of this peace program. So using this program, you created a random trial in which some villages deemed at risk of violent extremism recruitment were exposed to the peace program and some were excluded for a period of time to act as sort of a control group. Can you briefly describe your methodology and then we'll get into your findings? Yes. So we have a control group and also contact group. Both groups have been uh, entertained on the objective of the peace program because they know what they have to do. Also, we provided this capacity building to the contact group and all these activities I was talking about, gathering uh, youth and also involving them in the identification of the macro project, in the implementation, even in the joint evaluation with capacity building that we are giving uh, to them. So at the end of the day, uh, the joint evaluation phase, we noticed that this group, contact group, they have this uh, willingness to do things together. So that was very high. And we have also some anecdote feedback from young people. You know, the, the one we were working with in some communities, they were in fact entertaining some conflict that they couldn't even explain what have been the reason why this community and this one are in conflict. Young people, they were entertaining that because it is the elders who told them, okay, between us and these communities, we are in conflict. But no one knows why, what, what have been the reason of this conflict. So when uh, we try to put together this community, with young people from two communities together around a social event, and they have been able to know each other, even the elders, when they saw that uh, the young people from the two communities were in fact dealing together, they come back and told them, okay, we even uh, can explain why we were in conflict. And the young people told them, this is no longer our problem because we know that today, all the young people in the two communities are facing the same reality of the community. So they need to be together and to face this same reality to find solution about that. So that have been, uh, in fact, a greater success because two communities that have been in conflict for a long time, young population, they, they, they said, we don't understand well 
the origin of this. And uh, that is not really our problem. All the communities, we have the same problem between uh, we young people. We have to deal with this problem together, find common solution. And that is thanks to this program because we have trained them, we have discussed it with them on why it is important that they be together to face the same issue of their communities. So that's anecdotal evidence suggesting that conflict between two different communities were reduced through this program. But you also conducted a very large survey. I think the sample size was like 1,800 participants. And based on that survey, is there any statistical evidence to suggest that communities that participated in the peace program were indeed less likely to be susceptible to recruitment by violent extremist groups? Yes, because in fact, when we conducted this evaluation with all the activities we have conducted with the communities, at least 70% of young people there, they have something to do and they have this feeling of belonging, you know, that is very important. When you, you have this feeling that you belong to your communities, you are in fact sensitive, you are contributing to these communities in terms of economically and also in social activities. So this is very, very important for young people. We gave them some confidence on themselves. And also we have been able to break this uh, misunderstanding with the elders because they have brought them together with the elders to be able to transfer to them all these uh, value so that they didn't have this opportunity, you know, before. So that have been uh, something great. And you know, the, the objective of an organization like the Islamic State, they conduct recruitment activities in order to pursue some broader agenda against government authorities. Does your evidence suggest that communities which received the peace program were like more trustworthy or more willing to support authorities, or did it have any meaningful impact one way or the other? You know, in the course of implementation of this program, we have involved the government bodies in charge of social cohesion. So from the bottom line to the upper level, because in Niger, for example, we have what we call the High Commission in Charge of Social Cohesion. They have been really involved in all the phases of the program, meaning that we have created this environment, this opportunity for these you people, young people with whom we are working to talk directly to the government, you know, to the government representative on social cohesion and also to the government to explain their vision on social cohesion for these young people. So I think that this opportunity has been great for them because they understood more what is going on. Because sometimes people are doing things, they were doing things, it is because maybe they ignore that. They don't have the opportunity to, to interact directly with them. And the peace program has been an opportunity, in fact, for these young people to interact more with the government counterpart on this specific question of social cohesion and related to youth and also women. The most important thing also is within the communities, we have seen some bad governance aspects and we have created what we call community action committees, which were composed of all these sensitivity in the communities. So that were able, in fact, to reduce the frustration created by the former 
governance between the community. And this linkage also to the direct uh, government uh, counterpart in charge of social cohesion. So I wanted to speak with you because having covered these issues for so long, it's my impression that local, very local, hyper-local peace-building efforts, like the one you describe and the one that you have created, tend to be both the most impactful, but also tend to fly under the radar. They don't get a lot of attention. Whereas, on the other hand, military operations against Islamic State and against bad actors, they get the money and the attention. I'm curious to learn from you what implications your findings have for the international community in general and maybe donors in particular. You know, the finding first is if we involve communities in all the action we are undertaking for them since the design in all the phases, we are eager to get a better result and a better involvement. The other thing also I would like to underline is this kind of program, it is short-term program. You can have some impact, but to put them in a, in a kind of a duration action that need also to have another vision, another capacities, that was in fact one of the limited factors of this program because we have clearly noticed that the duration was one of the limiting factors. It is a behavior change. So behavior change is not something that you can maybe see in two years significantly. The other thing is, in fact, the additional uh, program component that we should be having. You know, these terrorist actions are continued. And uh, in the program, we didn't add humanitarian assistance part of it. So what the international community need to know from this funding is, in fact, regarding the context and our funding, it's good for SHAS program to think holistically, to add some humanitarian assistance there, while also dealing with the root causes of the conflict through the social cohesion activities, and also thinking about uh, the fact that we are not going to feed people. We need also to add some development activities so that there can be resilience. If we have added some development program to this program, that means that we should have been always with these communities dealing with this program. The fact that we didn't have that and it was just social cohesion program, it was like a standalone program without humanitarian assistance, without development. So that is a limited factor. So the takeaway is that just think holistically to hope to have the most impactful social cohesion programming. And it seems that part of thinking holistically is understanding that programs aimed at boosting social cohesion, at boosting individuals' commitment to their own communities, is also a way of building resilience if those communities are hit by food shortages or conflict. It seems to be at root of how one builds resilient communities and thriving communities. Absolutely agree with that. So that is where we need to go. When do we need to go now? Especially for the case of the Sahel, where uh, we have this dynamic and we need also to add to all of that the research, the research part, the research component, because the situation is such dynamic that we need also at any moment 
to have, uh, you know, some relevant and pertinent information on the situation to anticipate the action we need to undertake. We need to add also continue research on the situation to be able to provide good information, relevant information, pertinent information for anticipated decision-making because we need to anticipate in this evolving context. Dr. Siaka, thank you so much for your time and for your work. It is my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Before you go, do take a moment to show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so with a couple taps of your thumb. If you're listening elsewhere, you can go to patreon.com slash global dispatches. We rely on support from listeners to continue to do what we do far into the future. And by becoming a premium subscriber, you will unlock access to our entire archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts.